Welcome back to Master the Marketplace with Caspian. everyone and welcome to another episode of Master the Marketplace. Very few times on Master the Marketplace do you get the opportunity to talk to thought leaders in the e-commerce space, especially as it relates to Amazon. And one such thought leader is with us today, Stefan Haney, who is an ex-Amazonian, but today is the managing principal of Vantage International. So Stefan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Great. So, Stefan, to start off, we're just going to chat today about e-commerce. We're going to chat about your background. You Maybe you can give us, give me some tips on leadership and how to run an e-commerce business. I know there's a lot for me to learn from you. So maybe but start by just telling our, our viewers, our listeners, a little more about your background, where you've been, what you've sure. been doing, and where you are today. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got to uh, uh, be part of the Amazon story from 2003 to 2019. Uh, and, and it's super, super fun story. I'm originally from the Midwest, from Michigan, so I know we're getting a lot of snow in our area right now. Makes me smile. Uh, makes me feel like uh, home back in Michigan, and it'll all be gone in a couple of days, which is even better. But, uh, you know, uh, that ride took me to Seattle. Uh, and in 2003, that's pre-Prime, pre-Kindle, pre-FBA, uh, pre-AWS. Amazon was a book and media company, and they had just started to expand. So being part of that expansion over a decade was great. And one of my favorite times was in Marketplace. So I was in Marketplace from 2009 to 2016. Uh, my my first job was, I was like, you know, uh, what can I do that's the most helpful? I was like, please take over Seller Central. So I'll be out there. Any of you who hate Seller Central, that's my fault. If there's something you love, uh, people I hired did great work. Uh, so, uh, you know, but we got to make a lot of changes, the Amazon Seller app and pricing tools and a variety of things. But that got uh, during that time, I got to learn about what makes great sellers, and I got to meet a lot of great sellers because it's fun to be in the seller business. You make money when the sellers make money, so you're on the same side of the table. I got to come out several times to Spokane, uh, bring my team out to just watch sellers live or sellers live, and, and work with the then Etails team uh, to see how you guys were using our tools and, and where you guys were leading. Uh, the uh, end of my Amazon career, after spending a bunch of time in the seller space, uh, I got the privilege to lead the detail page. So then I got to learn, you know, what do you do during Prime Day? Uh, how do you keep the site up? But also I got to wake up every day and think about how do we invent to make the shopping experience easy? It's still day one, you know, buying furniture uh, online, uh, much less on Amazon or clothing or consumables is still hard. There's still a lot of things to invent. And that was great fun. We had a great team, uh, made a number of changes, but I learned a lot that to bring back to the seller world now on listing optimization. So uh, now my wife and I have a bunch of kids and uh, they're all going to be teenagers. That's time you're never going to get back. And uh, so I had the option uh, to uh, uh, 2019. It's like, okay, let's figure out what's next. Uh, and I got to spend a lot of time with my kids, but I still like projects and I still like teaching and I love working with businesses who are growing. So uh, I and a few people started taking on some projects, organized those under a company called Vantage. Partly because my wife and our trips uh, drive through Vantage. You have this beautiful view of the Columbia River. Uh, my wife said, hey, if we ever have a company, we're naming it Vantage. But it fits well with um, the way I view business, which is one of the strongest ways to look at your business and you want it to grow, is examine the mental models that you're using to run your business. Change your vantage point. And that's what I and some of my partners do is, is companies like, oh, we want success like Amazon. It's like, well, 
Amazon has a great story and we had a good story there. We're going to use what we learned at Amazon to help change your vantage and, and write your story. So I've been working with some e-commerce companies around the world, some marketplaces. Uh, I've learned a little bit about Eastern Europe and some of the growing marketplaces there. And then I've been spending a lot of time looking at the brand aggregator space uh, and uh, and how things are, are changing there and all the tools that are out there for sellers. So that's what I've been spending my time doing is uh, helping helping businesses with projects uh, to either change their culture for innovation and hiring or uh, work on projects that, that help them start new lines of business. That's awesome. That's awesome, Stefan. So let's touch upon a few points that you know you made in your in your introduction here. You know, one around brand aggregators. So for those who don't know, maybe just explain a little bit about what this space is. Talk about where you see the future. Like what's happening here? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think the best word I've heard describe this is frothy. You know, every day I wake up and somebody's got an article about who raised millions more dollars to go buy third party sellers. But, um, you know, what what's recognized is companies like Thrasio, uh, Perch, Heyday, there's a few other uh, companies in stealth startup mode that I'm working with. Uh, they're looking and seeing, hey, you know, brands born online, you know, uh, brand companies like Church and Dwight, Procter and Gamble, companies that own sets of brands. That's not a new idea. But we have a number of brands that are they're born on Amazon. They've never been at a brick and mortar store. You've never found them at a Target or a Walgreens. Uh, they're born on Amazon and they have their brand. They're not just a product. They have a following. They have customers with repeat purchases. Sometimes they have personalities uh, who are telling a story. And these brands hit a particular sales point and it's hard to start a business. You know, that's hard to run a, you know, run a business as sellers like, yeah, it's hard to start a business. There's a lot of work to grow zero to five or zero to one uh, million, your first million you know, and get to a million sales. Congratulations, by the way, on your, your billionth uh, lifetime dollar sales. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's fun to watch. Uh, so what, uh, you know, brand areas are doing is saying, hey, we can help these brands grow. And there's a certain amount of efficiency and value we can have in bringing them together. So I think, you know, I'm seeing brand areas, companies going, there's, there's financial value in buying a particular size company, putting them together and following that same model of offline brands. So that's my quick 30 second, yeah. what's a brand aggregator and who's- how, how, how many of these do you think are just pure financial buyers as opposed to the ones who are coming in and saying, look, there's truly some operational efficiencies that we can get if we string a portfolio of brands together. And do you think that, the, and the secondary question to that is, do you think the, the financial, the financial buyers are going to succeed here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of what makes the space frothy, right? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, Amazon third party marketplace, you know, there's, that's hundred billion plus, right? It's come up with 200 billion in sales. That's a, that's a big economy, right? Uh, there's a lot of pieces there. So it gets some financial scrutiny. And if you look at some of these aggregators, you know, they're coming from wall street, right? They're used to looking at numbers. They're used to looking at, at the financial models of companies. So, you know, you know, that's that's a thrash. You can look at the founders, right? You can look at where they come from on LinkedIn and you can see Thrasio's got roots there. You know, uh, big MBA schools, you know, uh, there's people who've taken companies to exit. So I do think there's a certain set of them that are strongly. This is just an arbitrage play, right? They want to buy something at a good price, hold it, bet that Amazon's going to keep growing 
Um, all of them have in their taglines that they want to grow the business, right? right? I don't think anyone wants to buy it and see it get smaller. Uh, but how much do they want to steward a brand or how much do they want to build a brand? I definitely see that varying, right? What's their approach to, to brand building? What's their approach to acquisition? Are they buying, you know, Thrasio, it seems I can't quite find the rhyme or reason of why they buy who they buy, right? Um, I'm sure it's out there. I just can't see it from what they do. There's others that you see in the aggregator space that they want to buy a particular life cycle. They want to buy in a particular cluster, right? They will want to buy home products and have ubiquitous, become the ubiquitous name. That's, mm -hmm. I would say, the minority strategy in the aggregators I see to become that ubiquitous name and really nurture and steward brands. Um, and I, I think that's that's a place where I think about, um, you know, in my experience is I think there's a opportunity for an aggregator um, uh, well, I'll come back to the second part of your question. Um, you know, Amazon's also a weird place to run a business, right? right. It's not, it's not just straight wall street, right? Uh, you, you run into, you know, white hat and black hack attacks and, you know, sellers from different countries, international sellers and copycats and brand protection. You know, there's, there's some knowledge and skill that you, you have to learn to successfully grow a business on Amazon. So having, I think there's an opportunity for aggregators uh, or for uh, uh, one of these uh, to have a lot of Amazon knowledge. Uh, there's a lot of ex-Amazon people out there, but really focus on, you know, how can they grow uh, and build the value of their brand portfolio by their growth and by understanding the dynamics of Amazon in what they buy. Yeah, that makes sense. Another thing that I've been thinking about lately is like, is there a trashio for Southeast Asia, like, you know, is there a trashio in the UK? Maybe there is in the UK. I don't know. But where do you see the international space on this? Do you think we're going to start seeing the copycats start, start, you know, start evolving internationally in mostly in countries that sort of, you know, follow the West a little slowly? What, what are your thoughts there? Um, well, I think there's some things you don't, you can just follow, you know, seller X had some, right. uh, is, is an aggregator. Uh, and, and so, I, and, and that's one of several that I know about in Europe. Uh, the deal size is a little different, but the marketplace dynamics are different too, right? You know, I haven't looked at the data in the last couple months, but Amazon is the leading online marketplace really in only one of the countries that it's in. Right. In every other country around the world, there's another marketplace or two that are almost as big or much bigger competition uh, for Amazon. So multi-channel uh, is, is has different dynamics in, in different parts of the world. Right. India, you have a Flipkart, you know, Flipkart right. Amazon race. And, uh, you know, in in Europe, you know, whether it's Sea discount or others um, that that there's different dynamics. So I think the deal size will be different. Um, but again, on the finance side. A lot of Wall Street finance guys come from around the world and go to, you know, they meet each other. They were classmates. They they went to, uh, you know, HBS or, you know, Wharton or wherever together, London School of Economics. So uh, it's not a big secret. So there's already Thrasio style folks in, at least on an Amazon brand space. Mm -hmm. And I think the second part that's interesting is, uh, will any of the existing brand aggregators that were, you know, will they start to try an Amazon model? Right. And, and start to acquire Amazon, you know, specific businesses that are already up and running. That might be interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point is sort of flip it at some at some level. You talked about omni channel, you know, a little bit. 
Like, where do you see Walmart and Target Plus and eBay and all these players fit into this space? Like, do you think a strategy for some of these brand, brand aggregators or brands in general should be, look, I shouldn't just think about my Amazon channel. I should be thinking about every online marketplace that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned we were talking earlier, kind of the, the focus of Amazon on customers. And that's a unique thing about Amazon, uh, you know, to be, you might be competitor aware, but customer obsessed. Right. And look at competitors to see what are they doing that customers like that I can learn from. Right. Um, so even in this aggregator space, I'm not worried about other aggregators. I'm worrying about what's good for the the brand owner who wants to sell their business uh, or transition because they want to spend more time doing what they doing what they love because that could be product development and they've now just been swallowed up by operations uh, to run their business. They want to get back to more product development, right? Uh, uh, or they they just want their time back, right? They've they've just got fall into really making this brand and they've birthed it, but they want to get back to other things. Uh, I think the same same thing is true when you're when you're customer obsessed. Um, where are the customers and and what are their needs and how can you serve them? Amazon's been trying to do uh, food and grocery for some time, and they've been doing a lot of different models. Uh, you know, that's where Walmart uh, had had a bit of a head start. Right. So for consumables, I think it's pretty interesting that Walmart rolls out Walmart Plus in 2020. Mm-hmm. Right. It's brand new in 2020. Millions of subscribers. Right. Instantly. Boom. Right. Uh, you know, I'm just going to order my groceries online. Uh, and now Amazon or Amazon is, you know, still the big e-commerce player in the United States, still much bigger than Walmart, uh, in three P sales, but you know, now all of a sudden for a very niche shopping experience and Jeff, you know, Jeff has quoted, you know, many times if customers remain loyal, as long as you have low price and great experience better than they can get out somewhere else. So mm-hmm. Uh, so it's fun to watch Amazon adapt. Amazon keeps adapting their their grocery shopping experience, but there's been a place for someone like you know Chewy uh, to get really specific on on pets and just like we're going to make a great experience for pet owners and they win them. Uh, Walmart's like, hey, we're going to win. So look where the customers are and mm-hmm. who's making a great experience for those customers. What can you learn and and then participate? Great, that's awesome. I mean, speaking of competition, I think there was the the news, and I, I think it's the the name of the company sells right that Amazon just acquired this. Those are sites. I could never quite sell. Sites yeah. sell something like that. But anyway, yeah, the, something TZ, yeah. Something. So the the word on the street is that well, this is a this is a competitive play to Shopify, and and Amazon's way of sort of entering in that space. And it's a threat at some level. Now knowing, being from Amazon, you're from there, I'm from there. We know that Amazon really just cares about its customers. We talked about all of that. But what, what do you think is the reasoning behind sort of the strategic direction here in acquiring this company? Yeah, well, we can go back to, you know, what, you know, being competitor aware, right? right? And, and knowing, and, and it's, hard to, it's hard to be in e-commerce and not, not know anything about Shopify. Right. <laughs> right. And, and then, uh, you know, there's some other headless commerce, you know, players, right. you know, that are popping up. I'm, I'm really excited to watch what Fabric does, um, you know, under the, the leadership of, you know, Faisal Masood. And they just raised some some additional funding. Yeah, um, I just read I read that. Uh, I think Faisal took on the role of CEO recently. Yeah. Faisal Masood's the, the CEO there. Mm, but they're right. focused on headless commerce. But if you go back to the why, like what's what's working? 
Uh, and I've helped some clients get started on uh, Instagram and, and, you know, they faced a choice. Should I, should I start my brand and my business as an FBA seller or a seller on Amazon? You know, what we looked at is for their product, um, you know, doing some keyword research, doing some advertising research, we didn't see a strong signal that customers were shopping for their kind of product uh, on, on Amazon. So in order to attract customers, they were going to have to spend a fair amount of money on advertising and, and awareness. And so their strategy, um, after we'd kind of done this analysis, they built a strategy to say, we're going to focus on Facebook and Instagram because we need to show people, we need to give examples, uh, some of our partners, and we're going to direct that traffic to our Shopify store. All right. Now, they've, they've added Amazon as a channel um, now that they've hit seven figures. But that focus on advertising and, and engaging with your customers, connecting with your customers as a brand, it's very easy to connect on Instagram and on Facebook as a brand and have a conversation with your customers. So, I, you know, as, as a brand, I have a choice. I want to connect with my customers. I can do that really easily on these social media channels, direct them back to my D2C site. And Amazon's always trying to learn, right? So I can't speak to the acquisition, right. but... Uh, you know, I think as they, you know, they've, they've been focusing on brands in 3P for some time now in their marketplace team, brand registry, brand, you know, protection. Uh, and there's a lot of great benefits in the Amazon ecosystem for brands. Um, I'm sure they're seeing signals that some brands, you're going to, you're going to have DTC as a, and direct to consumer as a channel. So you're right. how, do you, how do you provide services? Because remember, Amazon thinks of sellers as customers. Right. Right. Shoppers are customers. Sellers are customers. Content creators are customers. Uh, AWS, you know, customers. So, you know, engineers, builders are, and sellers are customers, too. So that's how I see it. I think they're, you know, going to gonna learn and they're going to, uh, you know, try to provide more services to their existing customer, seller customers. We'll see what the rest. I mean, they, they have a history. You remember WebStore? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of things on Amazon that were maybe before its time, right? right. You know, DoorDash and Uber is a big deal right now with Uber Eats. Mm-hmm. Last time I checked, Amazon was one of the ones uh, that very early days, like in the 90s, had restaurant menus on their website. <laughs> That's right. No, you're absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, one of the big complaints you know, at least we are internally from some of our brands as well, you know, I can't engage with my customer on the Amazon platform. And, and, you know, look, if the brand is your customer as per Amazon, which makes sense, or the seller is your, your customer, then you want to figure out a way for them to give them what, what they care about, which is to engage with their customers. And maybe there's, you know, some aspect of that through alternative channels like sales and, you know, through, you know, other uh, other social media outlets outside of Amazon and, and Amazon is smart enough to, to realize that. And, you know, they want to give what their customers care about and maybe, maybe there's a player. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'll be curious to watch, you know, Shopify has <laughs> got a lot of momentum, right? right. So, you know, um, Amazon's had a number of acquisitions over the years, you know, and sometimes they're obvious big players, you know, Zappos and Whole Foods, and sometimes Amazon just runs them as an independent subsidiary for some time and then starts to make more integration um, or export, right? A lot of stuff came out of Zappos and how to run a, a warehouse or warehouse robotics. Um, so, you know, I'll be curious to see how they do this. Um, sometimes they've they've also made, Amazon's made acquisitions of smaller companies to get a specific capability. 
but or to learn something. Um, so I'm not sure where this acquisition fits in. Shopify's got a lot of momentum, right? So, you know, we'll see how that looks. <laughs> great, great. So, Stefan, want to definitely jump a little more into your kind of Amazon experience, mostly from a leadership standpoint, because I'm a big fan of just the Amazon philosophy of leadership, the leadership principles, the operational culture that Amazon, I mean, I've learned, I think, everything that I apply at Caspian today from Amazon itself. And so, by the way, did you run a team of engineers, product managers? What was the, what was the profile of the folks in your teams? Um, when I started at Amazon, there were engineers and not engineers. <laughs> they, it was uh, not a lot of specialization uh, right. when, when I started. Uh, and so as the company grew, remember when I started, there was about 2,300 uh, people in Seattle at Amazon. Uh, and then, you know, you know, what are there's 55,000 or, or so in Seattle now and over a million, million three worldwide. Um, so as Amazon brought in specialization, things changed. My teams, uh, you know, I, I had uh, engineering um, in some of my teams. I had product management, um, data science, you know, uh, and, and um, was something that grew. Analytics and data science grew to be kind of a normal function that you would have in your team. And sometimes I also managed uh, design teams, so uh, UX designers and, and uh, user researchers. Um, so my teams were typically, you know, engineering oriented. We were building software and everybody's a builder. Uh, and since it's AI inside, you know, and uh, everybody's oriented, uh, my teams were building. So, you know, I usually I had organizations that were 10, 15 uh, teams uh, and uh, within my organization. And then sometimes we had shared services, sometimes we didn't. It is interesting as you learn, like the, the opportunity to, to experiment at Amazon, the way things run, um, is different. Uh, I, I'm really excited by Bill Carr's book, Working Backwards, uh, because I've, now as I've worked with different clients, it's hard to, couple challenges. It's hard to explain, like they've found one thing about Amazon on the internet somewhere, and they're like, we want to use Working Backwards. And I'm like, well, okay, um, that's a process. And you can't really use Working Backwards without thinking about Amazon's leadership principles. Right. And then how do you do resource allocation in two pizza teams or or single-threaded teams? Uh, and then they start looking at you going, okay, we just want to do working backwards. <laughs> you know? And here's our PowerPoint. I'm like, okay, let's talk about writing. Well, yeah, we know Amazon's a writing culture. I'm like, it's not writing for writing's sake. It's writing for better decision-making. You know, exactly. let's, let's go the other way. Do you want to have better decision-making in your company? Uh, do you want to... Um, have more right decisions than than wrong decisions. Do you want to start? Uh, are you working with introverts, people in multiple countries, people who don't speak English as, as a first language? You know, by moving a little bit more to writing, uh, what I observed, you know, that's the power of of writing. It's not just hey, we're going to go put on Amazon's clothes. We're going to start writing, right? We're getting rid of PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. No, are you going to improve your decision making? Like, how is writing improving your decision making? It has to be more complete. So I'm really excited about Bill Carr's book, Working Backwards, uh, Bill and Colin, you know, recently released. Uh, it's, you know, I'm about halfway through it. It's fun to read because it just, I'm like, this explains better than I have with my clients, like how the pieces fit together and then how to experience it as you learn it. Yeah, it's on my list. I, my next book, I have to finish another one before I start that. But it's, it's yeah, I'm super excited about that book. And I think that's going to, it, yeah, it, I mean. It starts from the leadership principles, right? And they, they, you know, and, and I think the key thing there is 
leadership principles aren't something you put on. They're something you uncover. So as I've worked with some different clients, you know, we talk about them building a new line of business or we talk about their vantage point. I'll, I'll talk with them about Amazon's leadership principles, but then my very next statement is we need to build your story, right? You, you have a different story. That was Amazon's story. And we want to learn from that. And there's a lot of just good basic principles you can import uh, from Amazon, but we now need to make it your version, right? And, and what are your leadership principles that you're, you know, at Caspian, um, part of, you know, what I think has been a great thing is your, your place and location. You guys are proud of where you're from, you know, out, out, you know, kind of Eastern Washington and, you know, the people that have come to, to the Caspian team, right. Uh, it's great. You know, I love yeah. it like from Caspian, uh, but the place where they're from. And so there's something in there that would speak to a leadership principle of, uh, that would be Caspian specific versus just trying to import Amazon's in. Absolutely. And that was the approach we took when we came up with our six initially and then evolved to seven. Okay. And, you know, we we kept a lot of the where we're from, the culture of the company, you know, where we started, the entrepreneurial nature of how we wanted to, you know, that, that the company really enjoyed for a period of time. And, and so some of that was built into the leadership principles. And we knew that to succeed in whatever our next phase of growth would be, you know, those leadership principles were, were critical to, you know, apply, take a little bit from Amazon, the concept in general, but really make it our own. Yeah. And, and I think that was critical. There's things I could point to. You, you, you kind of left the door wide open. Talk about your leadership at Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that is great is you're working with people with passion and smarts. And so there's an opportunity to learn from everybody, right? Uh, just coming in, what can I learn here? What can I learn here? Uh, and, and that's at all levels, um, people senior year, people junior year, like, cause Amazon, that bar, you know, people coming in, um, have been tested and you know, they're, they, they've had capabilities. And then I think the second thing is that writing culture again helps is unlocking and unblocking. Right, when you're running a team of a hundred, you're running a team of 200, like you, you're not going to get very far as the micromanager. Right. You need to. Um, and this is something I had to learn. I'm not very good at bringing people along. I'm like, there's the goal. Run. Uh, and so uh, I'm still working on you know, kind of you know, like every, you still with me like, oh, wait. Or, oh, that's not the goal at all. You know, let me get some testing across my team. But uh, when I had papers, I think people forgot to read Amazon's job description. Uh, I had someone ask me, like, aren't you going to read? this manager on your team's paper before we show it to vice president X. And I'm like, no, uh, because it's in their job description as, as a level seven or as a level, whatever that they should be able to present to a skip level. Right. So I viewed it. It's like putting quality at the end of a process. I'm like, if I'm helping them at the end of their paper, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't do my job. Now, mm-hmm. not everybody in my team was at that level, but my goal was to get people, that was their job expectation. They should be able to present. So I would spend my time on the outline or what is the, the opening paragraph, the question we're trying to answer. How can I help you with your skills on, on writing, right? right? Where do you feel the gaps um, so that I could equip my team? But it also lets you do more, right? Uh, because if I'm checking everybody's work, if I'm the de facto quality test guy, right? Uh, that's... <laughs> I don't have enough time in the day for that. I got seven kids, you know, and a lovely, <laughs> I like them. Uh, so, um, you know, so that was something that I saw that I learned from a lot was, you know, how do you set up the team in a direction? Um, 
I, I feel very privileged. I got to be in the room with a lot of senior leaders at Amazon over time and the opportunity to learn how they think and observe and see these thinking patterns and discussion patterns. Such a blessing. So uh, I would say one thing that I would put, you know, give you a canal. Um, so unblock your people, unlock and unblock. Um, you know, keep looking to how you can learn from the people and set that high bar. But um, I had more issues pop up on people misunderstanding what is done. Mm. <laughs> what done is, mm. uh, you know, you, uh, you learn at Amazon, right? Definitions of English words matter anytime there, right? People come right. in interviewing them. I got the chance to interview literally over a thousand people and people are like, Oh, I do big data. And you're like, how much data do you normally work with when you consider big data? Well, right. I've got an Excel spreadsheet with about a million rows. And you're like, okay, Good. Good to know. We have a different definition of big data. So if you had a spreadsheet, you know, if you had a data set that had, you know, a hundred million rows, how would you deal with that? Right. right. Uh, or do you understand big data might, you know, be data that has to be stored on multiple machines or multiple data storage set and has to be operated on by software operating under, you know, that's a different definition. And so having that definition of what is done, Right. A software says, hey, I've tested, I've put into production, it's ready to be used. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, software doesn't matter unless it is used. So we need to turn to the product manager or the launch team and say, how do people know about it? Uh, is the software actively used or not? Uh, and, and now we have a different definition of done. Um, so that's one I find myself going back to a lot. Uh, they kind of get at Amazon. If you're customer focused, it's not just about achieving a state. Well, we launched the software. Well, what we need is we need we need to benefit our customers. So, hundred percent version of done. Yeah, that's sometimes a big learning for us at Caspian too, and something that I'm certainly trying to push here is, for example, we had a case last year where, you know, the team came and said we're done, and what was done was code deployed on staging. That was done according to them. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, that's not done. You hold know, on. <laughs> hold on here. Yeah, so, hold on. Did we get, you know, uh, software is doing a job. How well is it doing the job? Right. I think the other thing that I appreciated at Amazon uh, is, you know, every team is kind of like a baseball team. So I play baseball and I've all sung choirs and you're on groups. And even if you're on the same team multiple years, like that one season, uh, you had a great team, like and everything clicked. And what I took away from that is often when people are hiring, uh, they're confused on a couple things. First, they're confused on, oh, we need to hire. Are you sure or do you need to get more work done or do you need a particular skill set on your team that you don't have? Right. Uh, well, really, we need more analytics on our team. So we could go hire an analytics person, but maybe we need to do some training and, and try and building. Right. Develop some people. Right. Uh, and so I, I underestimated uh, for a long time how important it was to, um, you know, what do you start with as a team? Do you start with this is the goal we're going to go after? Or do you start with these are the great people we have? What can what can we all do to achieve a customer focused mission? Right. And and Jim Collins, good to great book even starts. Get the right people on the bus. Right. Yeah. Then as a team, go figure it. Do. Now, most of us aren't starting at a startup state. So we start with the team we have. Right. And and. And so when each individual hire is actually changing the team, you as a leader, you're trying to optimize the output of the team or the organization and the individuals matter, but you can usually move individual tasks between jobs, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then at Amazon, you have to re-recruit your team all the time because <laughs> they have options, right? Not all, They don't have to leave the company to take a different job, right? Yeah. Like, well, you know, I'm out. <laughs> um, I'm transferring to this group over here. And you're like, ah. So, uh, you know, you really have to play that 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 general manager of because of, in your job description as a leader, are you making your team better every every month? Right. Yeah. As a leader, you're thinking about, am I, you know, how am I creating new capabilities for the company? Right. And capabilities are software, but they're also people skills. Mm-hmm. Am I creating new leadership capabilities? Am I reducing costs mm-hmm. of operating our business? Right. Uh, am I making the hard calls? Right. Mm-hmm. What am I uniquely positioned to do that is unlocking and blocking my team to make the hard calls? Right. That, you know, other people can't make um, that exactly. are unique in my position. And kind of a focus or gut check periodically on those three things uh, are things that my mentors put in front of me that that I learned that I really appreciated. I still remember my my orientation at Amazon when the person who was giving their, you know, give, walking us through all the details said, "Well, you will you will grow for you know about eighteen months in your career at Amazon, and then it's going to be a it's going to be a dip down, and you're going to grow back again." Because at 18 months, someone's going to have a conversation with you to say, well, you know, what's your next role here? <laughs> and, you know, that's just part of the culture, right? It's just challenging you at every given point of time, which I, you know, I frankly loved. But, Stefan, I want to get into recruiting at Amazon, specifically around the process that Amazon uses around these certain types of questions. Tell me about a time and sort of deep diving into those. What was your, and you've recruited a lot more than you know, I have probably in my whole career. How, how did you find that useful? Not what were some of the pros cons of that process? Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the things is recognize Amazon's challenge back in 2003, 2004. Uh, you know, Amazon wanted to be an inventing company is an inventing company. So, uh, and hard things, sorry, um, simple things at scale are difficult Right. So, hey, we're going to be a company that ships a million products. We're just putting stuff in a box and putting it on a truck. But when you do that with 100 million, you know, 200 million, 500 million different products, or you do, you know, X number of orders per second, um, nobody's done that before. And it's difficult at scale. So there's a couple things that you, you, uh, that I think it's useful for. One is how do you hire people to invent things we don't know about yet? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so that's great that you studied Java in, in college, but right. you, know, you, you um, we don't know what language we're going to be using five years from now. Right. So, you know, you need to solve for how do we, you know, how do, so what you're really looking for is behavioral interviewing now matters, right? Mm-hmm. Are you looking for people who, how fast do they acquire and learn? Are they learners? Right. right. So, um, you know, how fast do they acquire and learn? Because we want them to be learners. We want them to be curious. Right. Uh, oh, wait, learn and be curious. Now we're back to principles. Uh, so that, that's the first problem. We're, so, we're We want people who build the unknown and, right. and we want builders at Amazon. And then, you know, you also want the companies getting bigger. Right. And so you need people who can look at methods of work mm-hmm. and, and who can scale people who can grow. Well, now you've effectively described Amazon has this famous bar, right? You know, with every hire, are you better than 50? Is this hire better than 50% of the people in the company today in this position at this level? So what's their skills? What's their performance? And then are they have potential to grow? Right. So as a process, you may start with, um, to answer those two questions, 
because uh, also you talked about the 18 month, like I'm not hiring for the team or even for this role. Like I want to hire people who are the best in what they do and have potential to grow with the company at Amazon. So that's a little different perspective. A lot of teams when you're in an interview, it's like, well, can this person do the job? No, that's not what we're testing for. What, what Amazon's looking for, and I'll describe the process kind of in more organized in a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, when I come in an interview, I look at it as I have 45 minutes to get evidence or an hour, but probably 45 minutes to get evidence about whether I should give this person tens of thousands of dollars. Right. So, you know, I need to find out what, and oh, by the way, they're a customer, so I don't want to lose their business, right? <laughs> uh, I don't want to turn them into someone who hates Amazon. So uh, that's really my goal in 45 minutes. What evidence can I grab about what, what are they great at? Right. Mm-hmm. What is this person great at? What are their superpowers? What are their skills? Uh, that's the evidence I'm looking for. What are their concerns about working at Amazon? Right. Are they, you know, mm-hmm. don't be a bad customer. Right. There's no coffee questions. So I may start with a relational question. How you doing? Where'd you come in from today? You know, but what I'm gathering is signals that to me is, are they on their game? Did they just fly across the country or around the world? Right. right. Are they tired? And by the way, I'm not asking because I'm going to give them any empathy. There's a lot of times I got off a plane from India and had a Jeff question mark in my email box. (laughs) Game on, right? Uh, Yes, I'm jet lagged, but game on, right? Uh, You know, that just, but it does tell me how to interpret their answers, right? Or how to to weight them correctly. Uh, Because there's no coffee questions. I'm trying to learn something. We get to the end of the interview. What questions do you have for me? What I'm looking for in the best candidates is, are they asking questions that help them understand if this would be a good choice for them or not? Are they asking questions to understand, are they set up for success or are they equipped or what are they going to learn in this role? Um, those are the candidates that seem to fit uh, and, and succeed. Um, so, you know, the process I would use is Amazon sets up an interview, says, you know, we want to increase the capacity of a team. So we need to get, because, yeah, we need more coding done, but we want to mm-hmm. increase capacity of say the detail page team mm-hmm. um, i would look at you know do we have the right level are we hiring someone junior should we hire somebody senior and i'd work with the manager on that right and now we've found some candidates and we're going to interview them you know and we talk a couple phone screens would tell us you know is this person have enough to w- make them worth bringing on site to talk about are they a good fit now we bring them on site and as an interview loop, we're going to test, we're going to look for evidence against those 14 Amazon principles because mm-hmm. that gives indication, are they going to grow here? Are they, mm-hmm. you know, do they, how do they match those principles? And then understand their capabilities in their domain, whether it's business analytics, you know, product right. management. Um, so we set up that interview process. And, and what I think is when you're inventing the unknown and you're somewhat under stress, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great to look at behaviors. And right. so I would start with the known, like, can you tell me about the time of your company, you identified an opportunity you thought had value uh, and you uh, executed on that idea. Who did you have to sell it to? Did you just do it? Can you tell me about the process there? So from that, I'm learning their skill approach and I'm learning um, something that they know and they're comfortable with. I then take that same thing and ask them, we're thinking about, how would you approach? And I'm so now I'm looking to say, do they understand the principles of what they did? I tested principle in the first question. Mm-hmm. And the second question, I'm looking for how would they apply those principles mm-hmm. uh, in, in a new problem or a new situation? Because I don't know about you. I never had a request to please invent or solve something we haven't solved before. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, um, in my own first interview at Amazon interviewing, I don't think I ever said, I don't know. Um, I said it more times. 
but it was followed up with, well, I think, but I think what I would need to do, I'd use Google. I would try to find someone right. who, you know, how do I break down a problem? Right. So hopefully that saved my bacon or just everybody thought, you know, I had a, a good radio voice and so, <laughs> but, uh, so it worked out, but um, you know, so then in that interview process, the team of people that interviewed you, I think this is also interesting in Amazon uh, was getting evidence, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's the hiring manager and the bar raiser who make the final call. Right. right? You can have five people who say no and two people who say yes, and you get an offer. And it's not because um, I think that's a really interesting check. It's a great check and balance. Because if you have a junior team and you want to bring a more senior person in, that team may not have interacted with someone like that before. Or if you're exactly. bringing new skills, they might not know how to assess it uh, very mm -hmm. well. Um, and having the check and balance meant you didn't have a manager who was going to railroad their team per se. Um, you know, you did have a check and balance there, but you, you did have the opportunity to, to keep kind of changing the DNA of the team, which I think is great. Fantastic. All right, Stefan, final question, favorite leadership principle. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, if, if any of my previous employees watch this, they would, um, uh, they would, uh, laugh cause I would do an exercise about once a year where you'd have to rank force rank the leadership principles. Oh, I love it. Force, 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 force rank. Uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, you see, I'm flustered. Um, the one I think I'd like the most is that, cause I enjoy the most is, uh, and so it's my favorite is customer obsession. Uh, I started working at Bike Shop 14 years old. I think Amazon still has like so much more they can do about customer obsession. You know, I just bought a portable drill, cordless drill. Why are you showing me five more? Um, you know, I, I still think there's so much more to invent because at the end of the day, doing business is, is you're doing business with people and right. you're conducting transactions in e-commerce. You're conducting transactions with people that uh, by continuing to focus on their needs, you're just going to keep learning about them. Uh, and, and that'll cause you to invent, uh, cause the bar for customer experience will just keep going up. People will, will look to have a better relationship. So that's my favorite. It's where I have the most fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really enjoyed all your comments, your thoughts. Um, I'm in fact, reminiscing all my Amazon days right now, as you keep speaking and, you know, certainly it was really good to chat with someone from Amazon, but, but you know, not only someone from Amazon, but someone with so much experience and has been through, you know, some of the the early days of the company. So, so thank you again for for your time here today. My pleasure, Kunal. Uh, thanks for the work you do at Caspian and serving your sellers. And uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone, and we will see you next time on another episode of Master the Marketplace with Kunal. Thank you. Bye bye. Through conversations with experts in online retail. With years of marketing, compliance, and inventory management experience, we seek to empower our listeners to master the marketplace. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time on Master the Marketplace with Caspian.